welcome to the Halal Metropolis podcast, where we interview artists and other creatives from the Muslim communities of Southeast Michigan to explore how their work contributes to the visibility and vitality of the Detroit metropolitan region. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For today's episode, I'm your host, Razi Joffrey. I'm a visual artist and a documentarian. Our guest today is Endy Poskovich. Endy is a visual artist and printmaker. Born and raised in Sarajevo, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Endy was educated in Yugoslavia, Norway, and the United States. His works have been exhibited worldwide in numerous international exhibitions. He's received awards and grants from the Guggenheim Foundation, the U.S. Fulbright Commission, and the John D. Rockefeller Foundation, and many others. Endy was also a crucial member of the cohort of artists, thinkers, writers, entrepreneurs, and other creatives whose work and voices were presented throughout the Halal Metropolis exhibition series, which concluded in the summer of 2021. He's currently a professor in the Stamp School of Art and Design at the University of Michigan. And full disclosure, Endy is also on my MFA thesis committee. Endy, welcome. It's great to have you here, and uh, I'm looking forward to what will be a really enjoyable conversation. Hello, Razi. Very good to see you and have this opportunity to engage with you and the audience here. Thank you so much. Um, so, you know, I want to talk a little bit about your life and, and your work. And so just to, you know, dive into it, um, how did you arrive here? How did you end up in Michigan? Tell us a little bit about the highlights of your story and, yeah, how you ended up here. Um. Well, thank you. Uh, as I said, I'm very excited to have this opportunity to share more with you and, and the listeners. Um, there are two entry points to my story um, in Michigan. Um, when I was in my really early 20s, at age of 21, somebody passed a pamphlet about the University of Michigan. And at that time... I believe I was uh, living in Norway. So I was born in what used to be Yugoslavia, and I had this one-year um, study abroad scholarship uh, to study Norway. And somebody passed me a pamphlet about the University of Michigan. Keep in mind, there was no internet in those days. There were no printed booklets, but there was a photocopy. And uh, I really was enchanted. Uh, about the idea that there is this university in the United States. I considered applying. I did. And um, I got accepted here, believe it or not. Uh, and I also got accepted to other schools. And due to a range of circumstances at the time, I chose to go to a different school, State University of New York at Buffalo. And... Um, one thing that stayed with me ever since was this idea of what would have what would have my life turned out to be had I come to Ann Arbor, Michigan. And um, <clears throat> in 2008, I interviewed for the teaching position here at the university, and uh, that came through. I had a remarkable uh, visit with the school. Uh, I just felt this was as good of a place as any. Um, I had already been teaching in California. 
Um, I had lived in the United States by that point for 18 years, and um, I just had this kind of, uh, uh, kind of a almost like a dream come through moment when I came here for the interview. It was a drizzly mid-March day. I was in Los Angeles at the time. but somehow it just felt like this is a real place, more than just that uh, a photocopied pamphlet that I remembered from 18 years ago. In any case, that's how I came to Michigan, and I've been calling it my home for the last 14 years. Um, and uh, I, I love this state. This is my home. Well, it's wonderful to have you here and, and to be part of this community. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about your work. Um, and I know you work across many media. You even have a relationship with music. Um, but you're most known for and celebrated for your printmaking. How did you choose printmaking and why does it speak to you? Um, I can go back into my uh, early teens. Um in uh, 1983, I enrolled into uh, what would have been then American-level high school, but uh, the traditional high schools as we think of them here in the United States did not really exist in the former Yugoslavia. They were specialized high schools. So. Uh, there was a high school for music and high school for applied arts. Uh, I pursued those two tracks from even elementary school, and I enrolled into those schools. And that's how I ended up going to a School of Applied Arts, i.e. American uh, High School. Uh, and um, the logic was, as it was very prevalent in those days, that if you're an artist, you're a painter. Uh, photography was this cool new thing. Uh, but it just seemed like I wanted to be a painter. And uh, very quickly into my study in high school, I recognized that I'm more interested in Uh, drawing, which I have always uh, understood in the context of graphic arts. And this idea of a multiple, meaning that I could make a matrix and make more than just one image, seemed uh, incredibly appealing. There was something, I would say, more democratic, more egalitarian, more community-engaged with that kind of practice, uh, because it was created in a a collaborative community-based studio rather than a singular workspace that typically artists, at least at that time, uh, worked in. And um, little bit by little, it just became uh, clear that I'm uh, more drawn by that kind of uh, visual language. And then as I began to learn more, I understood that books have always been carriers of knowledge and that they have contained both representation of image and text and oftentimes, you know, uh, in different languages, calligraphic text uh, in relation to representation of image pattern. And all of that somehow began to resonate with me considerably more than this 
idea that art is a certain kind of elevation, something extraordinary. And um, I have stayed with it uh, ever since, and I have been uh, really grateful for that journey that has led me to both making my own work, but also teaching about it. You know, one of the things I've observed about you and your work is that you are a rich storyteller, and storytelling and narration are a big, big part of your work. And you're drawing from lots of different inspirations and traditions, oral histories, um, even scripture. Uh, so how are you able to you know, act as a vessel for all of these different types of inputs um, and, and weave them into storytelling through your printmaking? One way that I can unpack that question is indeed uh, this realization that um, as we go through our lives, uh, many manifestations of past, present, and intimated futures begin to uh, collide, or at least intersect. We begin to understand where we are in a given moment, what it is that we are reflecting about, and as I said, intimating something that is yet to come. And there are ways to look at that in the context of a larger, uh, more complicated life, both our own and uh, collective uh, social uh, life. And life begins to feel incredibly complicated at some point and considerably more challenging. And there's this idea that we can get better at handling what is in front of us, about grappling with the past, dealing with it in the moment, and intimating hopefully better tomorrow. But all of that, nevertheless, continues to be complicated. And... I think somewhere along that journey, I have felt that more uh, poetic narration about any number of these uh, um, intersecting narratives uh, uh, that oftentimes even collided and, and seemed to conflict one another seem to be also a creative opportunity to tell stories. Stories that in part are informed by understa an understanding of a larger context, but also imagining a context. And I think um, artists have historically uh, grappled with that question. I'm not the only one, poets, storytellers, um, and so on and so forth. And it seemed only logical to try to go to places that are considerably more complicated, but also my own, places where I could, in spite of complexities, feel at least at home knowing that I'm asking those questions first and foremost of myself and then if that can take a manifestation of sort, an image, a series of images, a series of images that in at some point begin to convey a story, then that's the world that in fact I live in, uh, even though that world in itself cannot um, 
change, let alone address the real world outside of uh, self. But nevertheless, that that act in itself has incredible power to convey stories that, in spite their existence because of our imagination, have potentially a hopeful uh, uh, side to that. And so um, I think at some point it became evident to me that I'm not afraid to go and ask those questions, at least of myself, you know. Um, and, and one thing led into another. And so if I think of the, the bodies of work that I produced, I remember uh, my first um, experience of living outside of the United States uh, after I could even begin to travel was this uh, remarkable fellowship I had through the Camargo Foundation. And I produced... Um, a series of works which are called La Souffrance et l'Aventure, which means the suffrage and adventure. And I was well aware that I'm attempting to sort of touch upon some very personal, complicated uh, uh, narratives that on the surface were not related to where I'm from, but at the same time, deeply and emotionally, they were there. So I thought of, for example, dervishes. Uh, uh, my grandfather's name was Dervish. Uh, and uh, without really trying to create uh, an explicit narrative, uh, I felt that idea of like a sufferance uh, was as, as tragic and epic in its kind of manifestation, just as it is poetic and almost uh, wicked in its uh, uh, kind of inner manifestation. And, uh, um, and then the word adventure uh, only logically manifested itself in proximity of the root of the word suffrance uh, or sufferance. And, and, and the work... Uh, the works are colorful, they're whimsical, they use these invented and or actual French words like uh, le triomphe, uh, souffrance, uh, et moi, and I, you know, and so on and so forth. But they were very reflective, uh, as I said, at least to me, of something uh, deeply personal and very specific without revealing those things, like without being explicit, saying, oh, I am <clears throat> addressing this and that. And that work spearheaded all sorts of conversations. It seemed to suddenly uh, bring uh, audiences and even critical audiences that were trying to unpack the work you know, like depicting a floating elephant or a pig, for example, in proximity of the word uh, 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 moi or c'est très bien or c'est bon, uh, it's good. Uh, you know, people wondered, like, what is going on? And uh, I felt that a certain degree of clarity within the image the images, plural, afforded enough of, uh, um, I would say, 
didactic explanation that these more nuanced personal uh, reflections needed not to be fully revealed. And I let them uh, uh, stay with me, affording me opportunities later on to embark on considerably larger, more ambitious bodies of work, like the series called The Majestic that I started in California, was in part inspired by the first series, uh, La Souffrance et L'Aventure, but it sort of began to encompass larger physical spaces like the panoramas of the American West, uh, California, this idea of the American dream, uh, this kind of utopian idea of American dream, this idea of, of, of illusion of space and its grandeur and how that was contextualized within both uh, the, the American narrative, but also my own narrative within the United States. And all of that just simply exploded uh, 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 in terms of its visual manifestation and, uh, and afforded me to continue uh, carefully embedding very personal narratives without ever fully revealing them and stating, well, I'm addressing this and I'm addressing that. And so that work really opened the door for people to look at it in a considerably larger context without, um, how, to, how do I want to uh, say this, without kind of pigeonholing me within a very specific narrative context and even uh, 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 visual narrative, meaning printmaking. Even though I made prints, only uh, people thought of those works in a larger kind of historical uh, uh, context of painting, cinema, cinema and photography. Wonderful. I want to yeah. actually come back to this in just a second. I, I want to take a step back because, you know, you talked about so many different things and, you know, uh, there's a macro perspective and a micro perspective and meta narratives about all these things that you're talking about. And I want to actually take a step back from your perspective, looking at the, the, the field of printmaking, um, you know, how, how has it changed in, in the recent past? And, and as a, as a follow-up to that, you can sort of speak to both of these, um, you know, how has it changed and, and what is your voice adding to the field? Of the printmaking mm -hmm. as a whole? Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and I, I guess also just to add a, a third element to it, you're an educator. Mm -hmm. And so specifically, you know, you, you are in a position to impart knowledge, experience, and wisdom onto your students. And so I guess like maybe we can hear from you from that perspective of how has the field changed? What are you adding to it? And what do you wish to impart on your students? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. Um, I can say, for example, in the early 1990s, printmaking was kind of uh, almost like a, a colony of, of the arts. It seemed on, on, on margin. And the prints that really dominated more critical uh, discourse were largely multiples made by famous painters and sculptors. And those prints were dominated both, as I said, critical context, but also market. 
and few artists here and there made prints. But now, two, three decades later, I see that it has become a considerably larger um, phenomena, not just in the United States, but worldwide, because we have seen rise of artists who are independent, operating with a relatively uh, a modest budget uh, throughout the world, producing work of remarkable qualities. As I traveled, I met people from Egypt, Bangladesh, Eastern Europe, from the former Soviet Union states, uh, independent countries now, producing work that uh, was remarkable. All of these people are telling stories. Um, and so that in itself added to this perspective that I now have about printmaking. Um, in my own context, well, I come from the country, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina really didn't have much of anything, let alone printmaking, until after the Second World War. And, uh, you know, the schools didn't teach any of that. There were just a few people making some modest works. But we were nevertheless informed by larger Western narrative that came through the prints of Rembrandt and Albrecht Dürer, uh, German uh, 20th century artist Keita Kollwitz. Uh, those works spoke on such a, a level and in such inclusive way um, that resonated with people in these marginalized corners of the world, like Bosnia and Herzegovina. And so I remember as a teenager being fascinated by that language. When I started making that work in my early 20s in the United States, both as a student and then um, as a young artist, I recognized that the, the field um, had begun to change. Um, I, I can say it this way, for example, that writers who write in English, whose stories are being told, don't necessarily need to be uh, native-born English speakers, especially from uh, the countries where English, English is the first language, like the United Kingdom, the United States, and so forth, but that these people are coming actually from other corners. And that being said, I recognize that people like me are in abundance uh, everywhere. They're trying to um, inject their own perspectives into a larger uh, conversation and that they are reshaping the context in which that conversation uh, ought to be contextualized. And I begun to work in relief printmaking, for example, which was not what I was trained in, but it came as a result of rather necessity. I had limited access to studio where I could produce the work. Um, in California, I actually worked out of my kitchen. I mean, it's a strange story, but I literally worked out of my kitchen. We would use it at times to eat. At other times, I would converge the table into a workstation until we could get a, a two-bedroom apartment, and I converted 
the large bedroom into my studio and that's how things began to really shape themselves into a, a considerably more ambitious uh, um, uh, uh, experiment so to speak and so um, you know here basically I began to see myself in a considerably larger context rather than as someone operating from a margin um, one thing that in retrospect, I recognize as as the the key point for my understanding more constructively and and methodically in relation to this was um, this realization that I was at that time and for twelve years a California artist. Uh, the difference. Uh, of living in California, especially Southern California, Los Angeles, versus many other places that I had lived before, was in this realization that the culture of California in this Western narrative is a relatively new phenomena. You could say a hundred or a hundred and fifty years old, maybe at 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 most two hundred years old, and that the storytellers and the shapers, the people shaping the culture, are those that um, are coming from um, diverse corners of the world and that they are adding their own perspectives to this. And so that began to, um, I think, impact me in terms of how I felt that I could um, shape a larger narrative coming from this very personal narrative into that um, equation. Um, and and I do want to you know talk about some specific work in a moment. Um, but as perhaps as a bit of a segue into that, you know, I want to know a little bit about uh, the role of Islam in your work, and uh, and and yeah, how does it factor into your work directly? Or directly and indirectly? Um, I think that question is something I have asked myself for very many, for, for a very long time and for many years. Um, I mentioned in this early series called La Souffrance et L'Aventure, I look at certain um, narratives that are very specific to the region where I'm from and considering them as a building block, how to place them into a context that I'm now operating and how they can begin to reveal themselves and to what extent they should reveal themselves. I remember earlier work where certain um, visual information was included, like pattern, arabesque pattern, uh, certain inscriptions, uh, designs, and so on and so forth, where I felt um, that work operated largely on surface, or that kind of narrative operated largely on surface. Once I wanted to introduce um, more personal uh, narratives reflecting on my community um, and even more specifically family 
and the context in which their story unfolds over the course of time. And I'm talking about even centuries. Uh, I realize that should not be um, merely an illustration or a declaration, so to speak, but rather something more enigmatic and potentially poetic. And so um, I think in the recent work, this series called Dream and the large pieces that I've produced, I begin to expand on that by introducing um, both very specific personal narratives, like reflecting about my mother and the story of her brother, my uncle, whom I never met, who was at age of 17, a volunteer to join anti-fascist movement in uh, Yugoslavia in the 1940s to join the, the insurgency that fought German Wehrmacht and died. Um, and so I wanted to reflect on that story and that story has kind of come back in multiple manifestations, but also uh, at the same time bring uh, some very specific um, elements that tie to the region, the village where my mother is from, um, a, a village in which Muslim, Catholic, and Orthodox Christian community intertwined and coexisted. And so I began to bring some very subtle but specific also components of, of um, elements that are very visual and that could be um, understood as such. Uh, um, I also wanted to sort of think more broadly and um, bring stories that um, are perhaps more universal, like the story of Hajar, um, who we are told in the book of Genesis uh, uh, was uh, an Egyptian slave woman, a handmaid of uh, Abraham and Sarah. And, um, and so I felt that that story could be uh, reclaimed. And, and uh, I looked deeper, for example, into um, the narratives that this story uh, uh, shapes, um, particularly, for example, in the 19th century United States, um, during antebellum before the civil war but also during the civil war how both um anti-slavery groups but also the confederate groups are trying to reclaim that story of this uh, um, uh, uh, banished woman and and what what role she should play in a, a larger narrative of the 19th century uh, America. So in a way, I, I, venturing into those places afforded me to imagine things that are just as specific as they have been made open in my work.
Um, and, and so I want to talk about dream a bit more. And, um, you know, for our listeners um, who aren't able to see it, <laughs> I'm lucky enough to have seen at least segments, you know, of the work. And, you know, as, as I've um, observed, it's it's um, ongoing, it's continuous. Mm -hmm. it, this is going to be probably one of your longest, you know, works uh, and largest works. Um, could you just for the benefit of our listening audience, could you describe the work? Uh, first, just physically, what will what will somebody see mm. that's viewing it? Um, yeah, um, this is an ongoing series. Um, I started it in two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen. Um, I started it in Europe, specifically Poland. During uh, that year, the academic year, I was American Fulbright Scholar and I had a great privilege to live and work in Europe. I also taught. Um, I returned to Europe as an American and as an artist who is coming from this context, not as uh, an immigrant or even in my early uh, days a refugee. Uh, and so I had this great platform from which I could both operate but also see and better understand the context in which I was now um, operating and producing this new work. And what impacted me during this year was um, specifically a very challenging um, uh, series of events. Uh, uh, many refugees uh, from diverse parts of the world were um, uh, coming specifically to Europe. Um, and uh, suddenly uh, I, I saw something that unfolded in my own personal life from uh, a, a long while ago, but now as an observer rather than as someone who uh, is actually undergoing that kind of uh, emotional, psychological, physical um, hardship. And uh, it really resonated with me uh, deeply and made me think of a range of things. But uh, I think dream somehow begun to reflect on that, that kind of idea of displacement, um, memory, um, even desire to, you know, reconcile with one another. And that's how it grew. Um, and I started off with smaller works. I began to feel that um, that was not enough. Uh, they began to grow bigger. Uh, I started making larger panels, and now the body of, of this work is considerably bigger. It consists of um, a number of pieces, and each individual piece consists of multiple panels. And within these panels, we see a range of things. Um, I introduce the representation of landscape as um, an element to um, suggest a, um, a space without ever being explicit what that space is. Um, 
I introduce certain um, visual elements that are suggestive of dreamy-like uh, narratives, like uh, a large cloud, uh, which uh, consists of number of eyes floating within that cloud. Um, I introduce um, representations of even figures or uh, uh, angels that I turn into uh, rather mysterious figures that are at part, uh, at times, uh, androgynous as they are uh, noble. And, uh, and so all of that begins to, uh, I would say, create a, a certain kind of um, feeling that um, we are encountering um, realities of sort, but also um, uh, realities that are uh, operating more as as a dream, um, and so, yeah, that's that's at least in in few words that I can uh, use to describe the work. So you were you were part of the you know collection of artists and the cohort of artists that we featured and highlighted as part of the Halal Metropolis um, exhibition, and and um, you know how how would you say that your work contributes to Muslim visibility? Um, well, I think that um, the audience, the, the participants, people who see my work, who have engaged with that work, will uh, bring their own perspective and their own take on the work. Uh, I hope that they have... Um, discovered something that has resonated with them just as perhaps they may have been challenged by certain representations and and um, narratives that un uh, unfold there. Um, my work here is um, operating from, I would say, um, a unique position that it is reflecting on a space that space and place, of course, um, uh, such as Bosnia and Herzegovina, a place that is lesser known or lesser contextualized within a larger um, uh, both American and, and world narrative. Uh, very few people know about Bosnia and Herzegovina or oftentimes um, um, have... Um, at least a limited or, or warped point of view. Um, and I think uh, understanding that an artist like myself comes from that world, but also an artist who has made um, his entire career and, and adult life in this American context affords them um, another reading of, of, of why these kinds of narratives uh, might be happening. Um, as I have always indicated through my practice is that um, my work does not address a single thing or a single context. It looks at um, it looks at things from multiple angles. And I think that is perhaps the open door that I discussed earlier that affords uh, people to um, 
begin to unpack certain things that are there. Um, yeah. Yeah, I you know I I I think you know one of the goals of our exhibition was to highlight this this emerging pattern or trend you know around visibility and identity you know of the muslim community that's mm -hmm. that's so robust and diverse you know in this in this region um, and that visibility comes through many forms, you know, uh, politics, you know, uh, obviously culture, you know, is a big part of it too. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we've seen with this rise of Islamophobia that there has been an effective response through this type of visibility vis-a-vis -vis activism and cultural creation and cultural production that certainly helps and makes a big impact. And it also has economic impacts too. You know, we see, you know, uh, massive contributions from the Muslim community to Metro Detroit um, in healthcare and economics and mm -hmm. business and things like that, you know. And so um, it's been really wonderful because I am from this area to be able to observe it, to be able to document it. Um, and one of the most beautiful things has been observing the uh, in incredible diversity you know, I live in Hamtramck, so, you know, I'm intersecting with, you know, the Bengali, the Yemeni, Bosnian communities, you know, as well on a pretty regular, you know, basis. And, of course, I've taken the initiative to make it, you know, a part of my work, you know, as well as to identify and find and document these communities. So it's been really, you know, lovely to be able to see that. But, you know, I'm always curious what, you know, what others' observations are, too. And so, you know, with this uh, burgeoning community that's, had some impact but continues to grow and evolve um what do you think is the future of this halal metropolis um well i i i think what you have just uh said is really uh wonderful i felt that way all along when um all along being engaged with the halal metropolis i think the title of the show halal um which has a wonderful um more open meaning as i discuss this with you in my native language that is an, an adopted word but that word is used in multiple contexts and always in a positive way and then when we think of metropolis we think of something larger something that is eclectic non-linear that is not bound by any number of things definitely not a singular identity or language and so on and so forth so i think halal metropolis really speaks not only uh, of this region and specifically Muslim community, but I think it's speaking about larger um, larger world. Uh, and and I, I welcomed that and felt um, incredibly excited to be part of it because I, I think as a maker, as an artist, I operate from somewhat of a distance. Um, I don't see myself as the forerunner or someone who is in the forefront of conversations um, because the nature of the work that I make is something that only with times begins to unfold and reveal more. And then I also understand um, that work of this kind is something that will be continuously recontextualized and in, reinterpreted with times and and that 
you know, people will see something different 10 years or 100 years from now. So that being said, um, the, the, the future of Halal Metropolis is more, in my view, the future of this region and, and this country. And that this is not, and, and I saw it from the very beginning and then especially through multiple um, manifestations of this project, both the exhibitions but also events that followed, that it really speaks on the one hand of an emerging voice that is both cultural just as it is social and economical, political in this regional context, but I think it also speaks of of, of a larger context, you know, uh, the state of Michigan, uh, the United States, but also potentially the world. Um, and I think these kinds of voices, including my own, are important new dimension to how we understand those things. You asked me earlier about the students and what do they uh, uh, get from these uh, conversations um, and and my teaching. I think it they open up to uh, seeing the world from just a, a slightly different perspective uh, because they embrace me as their mentor and, and teacher just as I embrace them as my students and new voices that they will be shaping in the future. And so um, I think these kinds of projects, these kinds of events, these kinds of uh, communal efforts uh, ought to be happening um, and they should be supported. Um, they should be um, seen in a larger context of this region and, and the country as a whole. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, our, our hope is that, you know, the, the, the project will continue in different forms and manifestations. And we hope to include, continue to include people like yourself, your perspective and your voice is very important. Um, sadly, that concludes our episode because that's all we have time for. This podcast is a production of the Halal Metropolis Project. Our team includes your hosts, Sally Howell, Osman Khan, and Razi Jaffrey, with production support from Asma Baban and editing support from Shiraz Ahmed. Our theme music is composed by Lou Fuki and Divine Providence. The Halal Metropolis podcast has been made possible through the generous support of the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art, and the El Hibri Foundation, and is hosted by the Center for Arab American Studies at the University of Michigan-Dearborn, for more information, check us out at halalmetropolis.org.